Welcome to The Lowdown, KMXT's show dedicated to giving you the up-to-date information we have available on the COVID-19 outbreak and how it's impacting life on Kodiak Island. The Lowdown will focus on facts as provided to us by local and state officials. During the show, we give you access to these local experts who have information on COVID-19 and recommendations related to it. If you have a question for our guests, please email it to lowdown at kmxt.org or call KMXT at 486-3181. Morning. It's Wednesday. It's time for Doc of the Rock, week 33. After taking a week off last week for Veterans Day, we're back at it, and it appears things are heating up a little bit locally, uh, appearing very problematic on the mainland and looking like they're almost out of control in some places in the lower 48. Our medical community, I believe, is also starting to feel the strain, and uh, we were today only able to coordinate one of the fine doctors to come in and uh, join the program this morning. Uh, so this would be a great day for your questions. We already have a few lined up. If you have any, shoot us an email, lowdown at kmxt.org, which I'm monitoring now, uh, or call the state, Studio 486-3181. I believe somebody's on the line right now with a question. Uh, we'll try and get an answer before the end of the show. But we do have Dr. Evan Jones in from Canada today to answer your questions. Thanks, Doc. Yeah, you're welcome. I don't think we're going to have a lot of trouble, though, filling 45 minutes worth of time answering questions and talking about what's going on. So uh, let's jump right in. Okay. Things are looking uh, uh, things are looking pretty predictable almost every day. You know, if there was a long time where we didn't get uh, we didn't get a notice from the EOC about cases in Kodiak, and now it's just we're questioning what the number is going to be on the day. Yeah, it's it's not, no longer a question if we're it's going to be uh, we're going to have one or not. Now it's how many, and the and the tough part is, is before we were saying you know when you've traveled to the lower forty eight, be careful because it seemed like a lot of people were dragging uh, COVID back from the lower forty eight to Kodiak. Now it's Anchorage. People traveling back from Anchorage seem to be bringing it back with them a lot, and so I. Do caution people, we're kind of coming around the stretch here where things should start improving very soon. Um, but even travel to Anchorage has become a little bit risky if you don't have to. Um, I'm, I'm kind of biased because I don't really like Anchorage that much. So I, th- <laughs> I think let's not go if we don't have to. Um, if uh, you're going somewhere else, though, you know, that's, you gotta go we don't have it. that option. Yeah. And travel in general right now, a little bit risky. I would say 80% of the people I've seen in the last couple of days have had travel to Anchorage, and that's probably where they picked it up. And so we've had a fair number of positives, but most of them have been travel-related. A little bit of community spread, often close contacts to somebody who did travel through Anchorage. So that that initial, well, it's, it's travel-related, there's not a lot to worry about, but when it turns into community transmission, then it's time to start worrying. Yeah, people have still done good about they've been getting tested when they return, um, and it helps prevent the community spread. Do we have capacity now, though, for the contact tracing? 
I don't know the answer to that. We haven't, we haven't, I think community health's been so busy, they haven't even been able to come down and talk to us lately. So it's been a while since we've had them on. I'm sure they must be incredibly busy, though, with this many positives coming through over the past week. Right. So we got 23,000 cases in Alaska. I believe the day, the numbers in Alaska keep going up to where now consistently they're between five and 700 cases every day. Certain areas of the state are considering, I see on the YK, they're talking about locking down the whole community for a month. Um, our villages are talking about locking down here. Um, is there any effective strategy other than the strategy that we've we've keep hearing? You know, it, it really hasn't changed very much. Yeah. I mean, it, if, the, if the community locks down and there's even one case that's snuck in, and they continue just and we continue to socialize without masks and spend a lot of time to each with each other it's just a highly spreadable disease it's easy to spread this disease um we just recently we've seen this over and over there's a million examples of well there's a wedding and one person who was positive and it spread it to half the people at the wedding and so it it's you know, if everybody had been wearing masks, would have some people gotten infected? Probably. Um, there m- might have been a couple people got infected, but it might have cut that number by two-thirds. Um, so instead of 75 people being infected at that wedding, maybe 25 would have been infected. And studies have borne that out. That's, masks are about 70% plus effective. So it's not a foolproof thing, but it's helpful. Um might have been sloppy uh, on my part. The, uh, can you be more specific from travel-related airport or off-island? Yeah, so travel-related does not mean you got it on the airplane or at the airport. Travel-related re- means you didn't get it while you're in Kodiak. So if you were in Anchorage, stayed there for a week and come back, we consider that travel-related. Um, if you're in Seattle and stayed there for a week and you come back and you have it, we consider it travel-related. Uh, airplanes are actually, according to a lot of the studies I've been reading, a fairly safe place because it's a highly filtered environment um, where they're circulating the air fairly quickly. It's, I, I don't know for sure, but I, would, uh, I think it's probably less safe than being outside, but it's pretty darn safe. They're, and it's, all, it's not a new thing. It's always been that way. Um, a lot of people feel like they get sick when they're traveling. And I think that's true because there's a lot of surfaces that we touch that a lot of people we don't know are also touching. Um, the one positive about that is at the beginning, if, if you were to go back to the first few weeks we were doing this show, we were like, I don't, I don't know that masks are necessary. So you heard us saying that. Uh, but wash your hands and, and be careful. Now uh, we find that contact, you know, touching things probably is not as big a spreader as what's in the air. And that's why we've we've gone from mass, from wash your hands all the time, which I always think is a pretty good idea, to, yeah, wearing a mask is probably a good idea for a little while longer here. I'm really hopeful, really hopeful by next summer um, that, that we can have a, more instances where we don't feel like we have to wear a mask. Um, I'm hopeful that Crab Fest happens this spring it's going to depend on how many people get vaccinated and how this dies down. Um, but I, I'm hopeful for the summer. I don't want to 
Uh, I mean, people think that, ma that medical personnel are pro-mask, and I am, but it doesn't mean I like them. I hate them. <laughs> yeah. So as a follow-up to that, we have a couple of questions. One is, if Taiwan, with a population of 23 million people, have kept cases so low due to diligence with masks, why isn't there a mandatory mask directives here? So it's it's kind of similar that we've, we've been talking about this a little bit, that we it's the political structure is different. Uh, in a lot of these countries, you are absolutely 100% expected to do whatever the government tells you to do. And in the U.S., we uh, value freedom very highly. Um, we we kind of had a brief discussion about this a couple weeks ago that um, uh, I, I'm personally, uh, this is awful, I, I feel like freedom comes with responsibility. And people say, well, there's a right to bear arms. I should be able to have a gun. Um, yep, uh, I'm fine with that. I don't have a problem with it. I don't think you have the right to shoot it down Rizanov as cars are going by. Um, and I, I feel the same way about uh, people walking around right now with a dangerous disease who might not know they have it. I, I think freedom is great, and you should have a choice whether you wear a mask. But when you're in big groups, uh, when it's not a great place to, to be coughing and sneezing or, or talking loudly, just wear a mask, just like you'd be responsible with a gun be responsible with the way you carry your lives. I'm all about freedom, so I have a hard time with mandates. I'm more about personal responsibility. And some people say, well, you need to be responsible for your own health. If, you, um, if, if you're a person who uh, is susceptible to this type of disease, if you're older, if you have immune compromise, then they need to be responsible for their own health. I, I, I agree with that to a certain extent, but part, in, part of being a community, part of being caring for, towards our neighbors uh, is, is being kind to them and protecting them too. Uh, it, it's very interesting. In the U.S., we have always been a, a generous country. Um, when it comes to the charitable giving, Nobody in the world beats the U.S. We're, we're a charitable country. We have started leaning more and more towards a me-first type of attitude that I'm looking out for number one. Um, and f interestingly enough, in countries that I've traveled to that have historically been communist, very much the case. Here it is, uh, a, a place that's supposed to be about the collective, but I find the people are very concerned about taking care of themselves. And we seem to be heading that direction, which I think is unfortunate. Um, look out for your neighbor. Help your neighbor. And part of being a good neighbor is when you're in big groups where you can spread this disease, even if you think you're going to do fine with it, wear a mask and just, just be, be thoughtful to other people. I know they're uncomfortable. I wear them all day long. I'm well aware that they're not comfortable. But be kind to the people around you. Some states have kind of gone... A little bit very extreme where they're saying you got to wear masks in your own home which sounds like when and it's when you have people who are, don't normally live there in your home is what their suggestion okay. was um i don't know about all that i'm just asking people be be good to those around you any way you can 
in all honesty, I have some patients who have severe anxiety about having anything around them. They're claustrophobic, and a mask just about kills them. Um, I get it. I, I'm not asking those folks to strap on a mask. I have people who are, get hypoxic or low oxygen just walking across the room. I don't, I don't want them wearing a mask. Maybe they shouldn't be in public either, though. Um, but I, I, I just keep saying, let's, let's be, let's be good to our neighbors. This is an amazing community that, uh, I love dearly. I, I, I love the people here. I, I love the, when I talk to the teachers and see the care and I, and people get frustrated that they're not teaching the right way. I, I disagree. I think they're doing the very best they can. I look at the school board who's really tried to leave a path open for every type of learner and every type of parent to, to meet their beliefs of what's going on through this, that people are trying and they don't get paid for that. This is something they're doing out of the kindness of their heart. I look at the individual school board members who uh, continue to care for the students and know them by name and how much time they put into this. It's a great community. Uh, the, the police chief, you can go up and talk to him and he's a great guy. Uh, Tim Putney is, is wonderful. I, I had a, a, a patient in prison who wasn't getting his meds and I talked to them and one of the guards said, I personally will make sure he gets his meds every day. Th that's a big deal. This is a small community that we look out and care for each other. It's not this guy's job to give his, that make sure this patient takes his meds every day, but he's willing to do that. And that's what I love about Kodiak. That's what I, why I think it's a wonderful place. And when I hear people saying, well, this disease isn't going to bother me, so I don't see why I should be wearing a mask. It, 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 it's, it doesn't, I'm not angry or anything. A little disappointing, um, but I'm not angry about it. The, the me first attitude that has come out in the U.S., I'm growing a little tired of. Well, you know, there, there was this question way back in March and April about whether or not the mask was effective. And, and then it seemingly changed right away to, now masks are effective, and now I think it's a, it's not even questionable whether the masks are effective or not. In our community, we have a group of leaders who all role model that and have been saying that since the beginning, wear a mask. Um, where in other communities we see where there's a resistance to it and the, the leaders are not wearing masks where there's a much greater percentage of the population that doesn't wear them. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm perplexed a little bit here as to why we're in that situation where so many people are not modeling what the role models do. You know, I, I'm perplexed as to why if the medical community who is supposed to have the knowledge about what's going on is giving you that message, well, then you run right into the me too, yeah. you know. Yeah, I feel like it's a, it's a me first attitude. And um, to be honest, you, you look around this community where when it, when we were talking about this in August, where were we super scared it was going to blow up? We thought it was going to blow up in the schools. Yep, we had one case in the high school, and they shut it down yesterday. But overall, kids who I've said over and over are pretty filthy. Filthy. Um, <laughs> they have not been spreading it. They've been more responsible in this community than the adults. 
they wear their masks all the time. Uh, people 20 to 50 represent about a third of the population, but they represent about 60% of the COVID infections. Um, yep, they're in an age where they probably will not die from this disease. I'm not going to say anymore because as we go further and further into this COVID, we find out that probably when it comes to what we have been calling long COVID or chronic COVID, they're probably the group that's going to be most affected by right. that. Um, we were talking about it earlier. 20% uh, of people who even had mild to moderate symptoms of COVID and tested positive at the end of it are walking out with a diagnosable psychiatric illness both from psychosis, meaning having delusional behavior where you're seeing and, and uh, hearing things that aren't there, depression, anxiety, 20%. It's huge. Well, and that's even, I mean, they know that even for the people that don't have COVID. Yeah. You know, now you're seeing really specific relationships between the people that did have COVID and the, the onset of these new uh, psychiatric disorders, which, well, and that's just one element of it. The other is the physical ailments that they continue to see. Now you talked about the blood clots and the relationship to be maybe uh, football player injuries. Yeah. So this is purely my theory. I've never read this anywhere, but kind of, I've talked it over with a few docs and it does make sense. Uh, we now know that a lot of the damage that comes with long COVID is probably from blood clots breaking off, going to the lungs. We also know it attacks the myocytes in the heart. With 70% of people three months later seeing some cardiac dysfunction on MRIs of their heart um, after having COVID. Uh, but we also have this hypercoagulable state, meaning you get blood clots super easy. And so... Um, I, I'm trying to put things together in my mind, and we have uh, a fairly similar set of circumstances and psychiatric illnesses that are being reported to the football players who had what we call chronic traumatic encephalopathy, or CTE. Um, and this is from getting tons of concussions over the years, um, uh, where you're having small bleeds in your brain and different parts of your brain from concussions. The similarity I see is with uh, COVID and this anxiety, depression, and I'm not going to be surprised if years down the road we find early Alzheimer's, is that we're having little blood clots break off, go into our brain, and it's not enough to cause a full stroke where you're like, I can't use my arm or I can't talk, but it's tiny little spots of damage that occur over and over and uh, you end up with the same symptoms as we had in this cr chronic traumatic encephalopathy where you're having psychiatric um, symptoms because of widespread damage all over the brain. We got a lot, of, lot to learn on this. We're still trying to figure out CTE, and now we have a new thing that kind of looks like it, but I don't know if they're going to be related at all, but it does kind of look that way. But there's... I mean, there, there's lots of other long-term issues. There are people who I've personally talked to who have to take a break on the way to the bathroom who you were athletes, 30-year-old athletes. They have to take a break when they're walking to the bathroom because they're too out of breath. Um, there are people who need heart and lung transplants, kidney transplants, 
probably a lot from these clots that are clogging things up. Um, the heart transplants, it's probably the attack on the myocytes, the cardiac muscle cells that's uh, causing these issues. It is a tough one trying to figure out all the downstream effects of this. We're, we always talk before the show, and I think there is going to be COVID, post-COVID specialists uh, for, for years to come who deal with the downstream symptoms of getting COVID. All sounds kind of doom and gloom and scary, and I really actually don't think it should be. I think you, you control what you can, and what happens, happens. And what I can control is I, I choose to wear a mask. Well, whether you get it in the first place, I mean, there always seems to be a focus now on, well, this isn't really a bad thing. You know, because only like one less than one percent of the people die from this. Yeah. They're all recovered. And I'm thinking, well, what does recovery mean? Recovery means you get to walk out of a hospital or, you know, you you've been at your house for two weeks or whatever, recovering from the symptoms of it. But have you really recovered? Yeah, this could be something that's a lifelong thing where you have this uh, these psychiatric illnesses, or maybe it's something where you heal from it, and after a year you get better. I don't know what the answer is going to be, and nobody does at this point. Um, my hope is that this long COVID fades out, and I'm wrong. There's no specialist because it's not needed. And, you know, talking about these illnesses, uh, isolating is not good either. I mean, we, we talked about this could be, what we call confounding element that, okay, we've isolated people forever. And now we find sure enough, when they're done with COVID, they're depressed or anxious. Maybe it's because we've isolated ourselves so much. That's certainly a possibility that we have to look at. We have to compare populations together to figure out if it's true or not. People who did get it and who, people who didn't get it during these periods. It is hard to tease out all these things and we're learning as we go along. Um, I do feel like the if if you've been in your house and have not left it, you're you're not doing yourself any favors. Um, I I tell people who in general before this all started, if people who have depression and anxiety, outdoor exercise is incredibly important. Not even going to the I mean, going to the gym's great. It's good for your health. I'm happy that people do it. There is something about outdoor exercise that's helpful for our minds. We're not meant to be under fluorescent lights for 10 hours a day. We're meant to be out in the sunshine, out in nature. And Kodiak is a wonderful place to do that. And I want to keep encouraging people, get out and exercise every day. Because there's not much better you can do for yourselves to prepare for COVID than to get out there, um, get some sunshine, even if it's blowing rain. It, it sh when you're in a storm out there, it makes you feel alive. And I want to encourage you, if you're able to get out, get out, take a walk every day. Um, I have not personally, you know, being personal, I have not worked on my weight loss as much as I should be. <laughs> but I have increased my exercise. I've been oh. trying to increase my exercise on a daily basis. And I still need to work work on weight loss. Those are things I can control. Weren't you the guy that brought us ice cream last yeah, week? Yeah, I did. <laughs> that was goat milk ice cream. Very healthy. Oh, it's good, yeah. It was yeah, good. that means it's all different. <laughs> <laughs>
So stop by the Kodiak Baptist Mission for your ice cream. <laughs> this show now brought to you by the Kodiak Baptist Mission. <laughs> uh, other than vitamin D and the exercise, then we're, we're there. But um, before I jump into that question, let's finish up this other. Surgical masks are recommended now if they look like surgical masks, but say non-medical on the package. Do they work as well? And what should they people look for when buying masks and where can they get them? Yep. So surgical masks are have a little denser weave than what we call dust masks. Um, uh, if I had to choose between the two, this is really revealing a lot about myself. I choose the dust masks because the surgical surgical masks are tough. I'm looking to stop all of my droplets, which a dust mask is sufficient for. A surgical mask actually does filter air a little bit better. It's got a tighter weave probably more protective to the wearer. Um, dust mask is probably protective to the people around you, but a surgical mask or even an N95 mask is more protective to the wearer because it does filter a little bit better. So you're going to get even finer particulate filtered out of it. And so my feeling on it would be that a surgical mask is more effective and an N95 is even more effective, but I have both. And as I told you, I hate masks and the surgical mask is enough to make me a little crazy. So I, I have, it's a medical mask, but it's pretty equivalent to a dust mask as, as they would say, but it is still helpful. And, you know, it seems like every shop you go into these days has masks, you know, everywhere. I mean, yeah. There's masks in, in Spinards, and there's masks in Safeway. Are, are any of them, it just seems like a great opportunity for people to take advantage of a market that's looking for everything. So, yeah. I mean, is there a better thing to look for when you walk in someplace to buy these instead of these? So it does depend on what you are, who you're looking to protect. <laughs> yeah. So there's the N95s that have a valve on them. And so when you breathe out, it lets air out really easy. When you breathe in, it closes that valve and it filters the air. Um, those are typically KN95 masks. They're made for construction. Uh, they're not made to filter your germs coming out. Not very protective to people around you. Still probably better than nothing, but it does pretty much open up and let your breath come out. Um, so if you're looking to protect other people around you, I'd rather you wear a dust mask than, a, than one of those valve. Could you take an N95 and hang one of these dust masks over the top of it? Yeah, absolutely. Makes it a little, even a little more difficult to breathe, but absolutely you could. And that way you're keeping the outside of it a little cleaner from the large particulate. Um, so you're not having to replace it as often. Uh, would, I, but then would it do both? I mean, would you protect yourself and others if you did something so like that? So a normal N95 mask does protect yourself and yourself. others. Oh, it does. Yep. So the normal N95 mask does not have a valve. Um, that's the construction style. The KN95s have a valve so the air goes out freely. The N95 mask I wear does not have a valve to let the air out. It's filtering both directions. Gotcha. Um, and so, but even then, I mean, I, the idea, I've seen people who put a regular dust mask over their N95s kind of to protect their N95s just from the gross debris 
that's floating around in the air so that they can use it for a longer period of time. I use my N95 for more than just one visit. I use it for a while, but I try to keep it as clean as possible. Um, there's some concern about, well, if we're wearing the same mask over and over and over, does it, is it really helpful? Yeah, it still is because this virus, um, yep, I know the studies have shown you can still detect the virus 24 hours later on this and that. For the effectiveness of actually in, uh, infecting a person, it really does not take long for this virus to get to small enough numbers. If your mask even dries out and you yourself have uh, COVID-19, it's unlikely that even somebody picking up and handling your mask after a couple hours is ever going to get the disease. Um so the masks are effective in that way. If you really want to keep your get your masks clean, uh, just keep them in a warm, dry environment. And when they dry up, everything is dry on them, it will kill the majority of the virin particles. Um, we have the, the thing at the hospital that they talk about is the perfect thing is, frankly, blanket warmers at 160 degrees. Um, I don't want you putting masks in the oven and burning them, but at the same time, just a nice, warm, dry environment in your house and just drying them out is great for the ones that you can't wash. If you wash them, there's virtually nothing that's going to live through that. Um, are we going to be able to detect some things in microscopic quantities? Yep, but it's unlikely they're going to cause an issue. So do we know at, you know, we're eight months into this already, and there was always... A question about wh what was the most common method of transmission. Is it going to come in your mouth or your nose, or does it come in from your fingers, or does it come into your eyes? So uh, I'm going to guess it actually comes in through your nose uh, the majority of the time. Um, we, we've kind of looked at studies that have looked at, like, food delivery and stuff like that, or is it on groceries or mail? Do I think it's possible to transmit it by touch? Absolutely. I think it's definitely possible. I think it's a less likely way of doing it. Um, at this wedding, I don't think that the guy who had it went around and touched 75 people. And I don't think 75 people touched something that he did and that's the way they got it. I think they got it through the air. I think it was a happy, joyous time. People were shouting, screaming, whether we liked it or not spittles being sprayed all over the place when we're doing those things and people got it that way and so i think it most likely entered through the nose or possibly the eyes i i couldn't say for for certain and because of that um that's why so many people got it same thing we we've talked about it before down in washington uh the choir where 63 out of 72 people got it after a two-hour choir practice from one person I don't think he went around and touched every person in the face or on the hands. I don't think they touched the same things, but everybody got it. So I think through the air is the most likely transmission for this. And this came up the other day in the discussion. So are we going to be wearing masks for colds and flus season all the time now too? And it's like, well, most of the time colds are <laughs> transmitted by touching. Um, the rhinovirus is typically a, a touching thing. And if you keep your hands clean, uh, much, much less likely to get colds or flus. And so people, somebody was asking me, are you going to wear a mask during cold and flu season? And I don't want to wear a mask during cold or flu season. And I'm like, well, probably not. I never have. 
the argument was, well, that's pretty dangerous for some people also. I'm like, but I am going to wash my hands um, because that's the most appropriate way of preventing that. And so doing what we can do. That's my big thing. Okay, let's jump next into vaccines. Yes. Let's talk about the vaccines. Um, There's a lot of, like, amazing news about how effective these two vaccines that have already uh, gone through the final testing and I think are about to go to the FDA for approval. Um, We're we're hearing numbers as high as 95% effective, which made me question, one, whether that's really an accurate number. And given the shortness of the testing and how they've got to where they're at now, what does that really mean? And um, So the, the tough part is they're immunizing tons of people. And some people get a shot of saline solution and some people get the immunization. And as many as 30,000 people participating in these trials and trying to figure out Okay, a lot of different things that go into this. And so it's been interesting reading this. So initially Pfizer came out with, hey, our vaccine is 90% effective. Great news. Well, then Moderna came out and said, well, ours is 94% effective or 94.5% effective, whatever. And then Pfizer had to revise their numbers and say, oh, ours is actually, we re-looked at it. Now it's 95% effective. (laughs) It's hard to, hard to say how effective it's going to be when you don't act actively infect all of the participants. Um, instead, we, we, what we did is we immunized a large group of people and turned them loose in society and saw from each group of 15,000 how many people are getting infected uh, out of that group um, uh, and comparing the, the, the injection of saline solution to the actual vaccine. And how different are they? And we think that it cut down, uh, looking at the numbers in those studies, that uh, we had 95% fewer infections in the vaccine group than we did in the non-vaccinated group. And just so you understand, nobody knows in those studies whether they got the vaccine or not. Um, If you read your, your drug bottles and look at the side effects, and you're like, man, I've never taken this drug. There's like a million side effects to it. Um, that's the other thing that's discovered in these is if you have something during the study, they have to put it as a possible side effect. If you got a headache during the time of the study, that's a possible side effect. Um, and so they're also looking for that. To s- they're really trying to discern what are the differences between the people who actually got it got the immunization and what didn't they get and so they want to figure out what is this immunization actually going to cause um when it comes to new drugs that are just out i I hate to say it but for the first 15 20 years you're if you're taking a new drug you're kind of part of an experiment uh and we track what side effects you're having um if you t- when when people are given to this immunization, you're going to be closely tracked. I'm willing to participate in this immunization, and most immunizations have zero side effects. You might have a sore arm. If you've ever had a tetanus shot multiple times, you know it feels like you had a hard workout the day before. It hurts. Um, uh, with this immunization, uh, it is a little bit different that. 
It, it's called the RNA type vaccination. It's an mRNA type vaccination. If you want to look up and read about it, it's getting a, a little deep for a radio show, but it's a different type of vaccination than we typically give. Um, and it does have side effects. Uh, it, it does, uh, when we give flu shots, people say, oh man, that gave me the flu last time. No, it didn't. You might've gotten sick, but it wasn't because of the vaccine. Um, this is one that does make you, makes a fair number of people feel a little bit sick for a day or two. Um, and there are a larger number of headaches and body aches after this vaccination than the placebo group. Um, so it's not one that we can say, well, there's really no side effects. There's some, no major side effects, but there are definitely some side effects. I'll be participating in it and I will be taking the vaccine when it's available to me. Partly because I feel like as part of the medical community, if we say people will need to take a chance on this, I need to also. But which, I mean, if you had a choice, mm -hmm. is there any difference between the one and the other that they're talking about now? Yeah, so it's, uh, I don't think we'll know for a year or so whether there's a significant difference. It's just like uh, we were talking about the storage a couple weeks ago. So right now the Pfizer vaccine has to be stored at minus 70 degrees Celsius. Um, pretty tough to do. That means you got to have it on dry ice and in a well-controlled uh, well environment the entire time. Um, tough to transport everywhere. We can do it. It's not a, not a huge issue. It's not the first vaccine that has required this, but it's difficult. Um, the Moderna vaccine only requires 20 below. That's pretty typical. Uh, for a lot of vaccines, so a little easier to manage. Um, but it's not that the Pfizer one won't work at 20 below. It's just that they didn't spend time discovering, really investigating, is this still going to be uh, effective if we store it at 20 below for six weeks? That was not their focus. It would not surprise me if in three months Pfizer says, hey, you know what? You can store ours at 20 below also. We just don't know at this point. And they didn't the infrastructure required to transport and build, you know, build everything that's necessary to keep something that low is mind-boggling to, to deliver it to the whole population. So what's going to happen is they already have delivery packages that you fill full of dry ice, you put it on overnight mail, you give those immunizations um, over, they're good for five days once thawed. Um, you give them out over th those five days and then you order a new new box of them. And so they're stored at a central facility. It's certainly possible. Um, is it more difficult? Yeah, it's more difficult, but certainly can be done. To me, the, you know, Testing for long-term effects should take a while. Yep. It seems to me like this has just been developed within the last month or so and tested fairly quickly, and we really don't know what the long-term effects are. I mean, how can you say within a one- or two-month period that you know exactly what's going to happen with this thing in the long term? Yeah, I mean... And, and I wish I could say otherwise, but we don't know. I mean, I, I use one of my, a drug that I really like, Zofran. Uh, for years, years and years and years, there's a Category B drug. And just to explain to you, Category B means it's been tested and it's been shown to be safe during pregnancy. Um, 
So what did we give to every mom who had nausea? We gave them Zofran and felt good about it. Uh, the old drug, which works pretty well but makes you a little sleepy, called promethazine or Phenergan. Um, we didn't use as much in pregnancy because it was category C, which means we're not sure what it does in pregnancy. We think it's probably safe, but we don't know for certain. Oh, about two or three years ago, we found out after years of looking at it that we found out that Zofran may cause an increase of certain types of heart defects early in pregnancy. And so it kind of blew us out of the water. Here's a drug we've been using for 15, 20 years, and it took that long to figure out the downstream side effects. We don't know after three months what these are going to cause long-term. Do we think they're probably going to be safe? Yeah, I think they're probably going to be safe. If I didn't think they were going to be safe, I wouldn't take them. Um, is there a chance that it could have some bad effects downstream? Yeah, there are some. There, there is a chance it could have a bad effect downstream. I also know that uh, getting COVID, even a mild case, can have some very bad side effects downstream. Even if you don't die, there's a, there's a, high, there's a fairly significant likelihood about a third of people in America after three months are still having effects of COVID. Um, could it be lifelong? Could be. I don't know. I'm hoping a year from now we're all feeling good about ourselves, including people who had COVID and have long COVID. I don't know what the answer is, though. Well, it's a balancing act. It would seem, and it would it would seem the balance right now would be for us to stop this as quickly as we can. Yeah, that that's that's my belief. Um, uh, pe- people who are my patients know uh, there, there's some people who don't like vaccinations. I suggest them. I don't harp on you and and beat you up if you don't get them. That's just not the way I am. I haven't found it to be too useful. Um, And I won't harp and beat up on people who don't get this vaccination. Um, I think that, but that's where it comes back to. I do kind of harp on people about wearing masks. We can do that. That's something that we know is safe. Uh, These guys who are talking about uh, elevated carbon dioxide and all that garbage. Um, they're kidding themselves. They have no idea what they're talking about. Um, well, but as far as this vaccine, to, for me to say it is 100% safe, that's, I can't tell you that. The 95%, though, doesn't the 95% actually sort of relate to the amount of people in the population that also take it? Yeah, oh, well, I mean, it's 95% of people who are, uh, so we're talking, we're going back to herd immunity now. Um, the, our current vaccination program is to get the disease. And then we think we might have immunity to it. And I'm hoping we do. Um, that's our current current program. And a lot of politicians really say that's what we should be doing is just let it run wild and we'll get herd immunity because enough people will get sick and we'll be immune to it. And whatever happens to people happens to people. Um, well, we, we now know that a third of those people have long-term issues from it. With this one, we know that uh, there are some side effects, but they seem to last a couple days rather than for months and months and months. Can I say you tell you with absolute certainty that nothing else is going to happen? No, because it's happened... We've developed this so quickly, but we absolutely know what's going to happen. 
we know the percentage on uh, percentages of what's going to happen to people who do get COVID. And so that's why I'm willing to take the vaccine. I do not want the side effects associated with COVID. And as even after herd immunity is achieved, COVID is still going to be around years from now. COVID is still going to be around. Is it going to be less? Yep. And there's going to be pockets where it pops up and spreads around and people are hospitalized and people die, but, uh, it's going to happen for years. So as it sits now, what I understand is you need, if, if these, these, if these are become available, you're going to need a shot and a booster. Correct. So I believe I read there was a shot and two months later, a booster. And even then, I can't tell you, are you protected forever then? Or right. is that once a year? What are we talking about here? I don't know. We had, we've had this discussion with people who had COVID. And many people, three to six months later, have no antibodies. But 100 out of 100 in one study showed that they had T-cell immunity, which is a different type of white blood cell, different type of memory cell within our disease-fighting uh, white blood cells. Does that confer absolute immunity? I don't know the answer to that. Well, then there's this, you know, there's there may be different strains of COVID. Mm -hmm. And does this vaccine that, or the vaccines that are on the way, does it deal with all different strains of it? So we're with a vaccine, we're trying to figure out what is common among all of them. And so are there differences? Yes. Are they minor enough where there's still a common part to them that we can target? Uh, that's our hope, is that one vaccine will fight all these. Will there eventually be other strains that aren't covered under this vaccine? Probably. Um, but we're looking for a commonality between all of these COVID uh, strains. And that's what we look at using as a target for, uh, for immunizations. Uh is the local medical community are you you are you now in pre-planning stages for what happens when the vaccine arrives? Yeah, so we're still trying to figure out um, the logistics of how we're going to give it and use it. Uh, who's going to get it? Um, uh, there's been a hierarchy of who's supposed to get it first. First line, front line uh, workers are supposed to get it first, and then. Uh, people who are elderly and people who uh, have uh, diseases that leave them very vulnerable are next. And we keep going through it. The good part is uh, some of the studies that came out yesterday showed that va typically vaccines are not as effective in elderly people. They don't have as robust an immune system. So you've probably seen like the flu shot. Um, we do a high dose flu shot in elderly people now. Uh, I use that term loosely because I feel like it's a little un elderly sounds a little a little aged you don't have to be that old to get a high <laughs> dose flu shot 45 <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a little older than that <laughs> but um, we found that this the early studies show this vaccine is very effective still in the 90% plus effectiveness even in the elderly population which is great news um, and so I, I think moving forward, we're going to look at getting the most vulnerable and probably people in the medical field are going to be up there because we're most likely to get it and spread it to other patients. 
So we want to protect our patients around us that we're not ones who are contributing to the problem. We want to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. So are you thinking, is this, is this a shield? I mean, if you, you know, if you go out and get the flu vaccine, mm-hmm. you still get the flu a lot of times. So, so if you get this, can you then walk around and say, I'm good? So I'm going to tell you what the, the what they're going to, they're going to say no. You can't. You still got to wear masks and stuff like that because you might be one of the five percent who it wasn't effective. I don't know. Uh, the flu vaccine, um, a one-time dose, is not super effective. To be honest, we're taking a guess out of lots of different strains of the flu what we're going to have this year, and sometimes we're completely wrong. The one good part about getting the flu shot every year is probably some immunity spills over from last year's flu shot to this year's flu season. So as you get flu shots over the years, your body learns about more and more of them. Different ones, it takes uh, different amounts of time to forget, meaning you could get immunized and five years later still get infected by that same kind. But we tend to think that over time, flu shots is helpful. Um, flu shots are not as, as big a slam dunk as these early numbers on the COVID vaccine vaccine are. And so this is more effective than the flu shot currently is. That was a that was a, an instructive 45 minutes. A little bit longer today and I think we have tons of st- things still to talk about so maybe we'll touch on them next week when we'll start off with a further discussion about vaccines. Hopefully we get more people smarter next week than me, so. <laughs> <laughs> I think you just did fine. You did just fine. Uh, appreciate your time. Uh, let's go into next week and Thanksgiving safely. Everybody has a lovely day and lovely week, and you get a chance to take the doc's advice and go out and enjoy this fine weather we're having. It's supposed to get stormy, so get out there and go for a walk today. Thank you. Have a nice day. Thanks for tuning in today.